You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned afterward for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Uh, great to be with you all today. A couple things before we get going. First of all, uh, I noticed Jamie Smith was in three videos already today. For those of you who know Jamie. Uh, and so we're trying to figure out, yeah, if we can sneak him into a fourth before we're done somehow. And second, I want you to know, uh, women of Mosaic, I take it as a point of personal pride that not a single man I know who went to the retreat went home this year injured. I don't know of a single rolled ankle, torn hamstring, or blown out knee. Uh, we're trying to get you to and make sure they can come back next year as well. And uh, one more thing before we finish our series on stories, uh, just a little reminder that this weekend is actually the 60th anniversary of Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. And to commemorate and honor that, yeah, there's going to be a gathering at the Capitol building here in Austin downtown at 9 a.m. tomorrow. So let me encourage you to not only go, but make sure you bring a bottle of water <laughs> with you as well. Scripture reading today is going to be from 2 Kings chapter 8. Here we go. Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Go away with your family and stay for a while wherever you can because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last seven years. The woman proceeded to do as the man of God said. She and her family went away and stayed in the land of the Philistines seven years. At the end of the seven years, she came back from the land of the Philistines and went to appeal to the king for her house and land. The king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, and had said, tell me about all the great things Elisha has done. Just as Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, the woman whose son Elisha had brought back to life came to appeal to the king for her house and land. Gehazi said, this is the woman, my lord, the king, and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. And the king asked the woman about it. And she told him, and then he assigned an official to her case and said to him, give back everything that belonged to her, including all the income from her land from the day she left the country until now. And that's the reading of God's word all his people today said. Amen. Yeah. Hey, sing this with me, if you know it. Swing low. Come on. Sweet chariot. Coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for to carry me home. So let me know the verse. I looked over Jordan and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home, a band of angels, a band of angels coming after me. Coming for to carry me home. One more time. Swing low, yeah. Sweet Cherry on. Coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Yeah, great job. About a hundred years later, 
the Christian church sang another hymn. We're not going to sing this one. but You may know it. it go, the lyrics go like this. They say that heaven's pretty and living here is too. But if they said that I would have to choose between the two, I'd go home. Home where I belong. While I'm here, I'll serve him gladly and sing him all these songs. We're here, but not for long. And one day I'll be sleeping when death knocks on my door and I'll awake to find that I'm not homesick anymore. I'll be home, home where I belong. Thousands of years before either of those, one Jewish songwriter put it like this, Psalm 137. He wrote, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered where? Home, home, yeah. What's the thread in all the songs? It's just it's the longing for home. Longing for home and perhaps the single greatest story, the greatest narrative thread that runs through humanity and therefore through the life of every single individual who has ever lived, who will ever live. Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, Christian, Jewish, skeptic, agnostic, atheist alike is this. It's the longing for home. Our, our songs are filled with this. And so are our stories. Because there is a house, not in New Orleans, different song, but on number four, Privet Drive. Why are some of you laughing? You've heard, you've heard of this house. Number four, Privet Drive is a famous house in England. It's a nice house on a very nice street. It's very nice and very tidy. But for an orphaned young man named Harry Potter, number four, Privet Drive may be a house, but it's not a home at all. Why? It's because his aunt, his uncle, his cousin, the Dursleys, live there. Harry Potter is forced to live in a little cubby hole under the stairs. He's neglected. He's bullied. He's left out, ridiculed, ignored. It. He lives there. It's his house, but it's sure not his home. But then when Harry goes to a new place, a school called Hogwarts. His life begins to change. He finds friends. He understands his purpose. He discovers his gifts. He begins to flourish. He becomes brave and sacrificial. See, Hogwarts was a place made for him. Hogwarts became his real home. And whenever he's sent back to for private drive during the school breaks, all that house does is remind him of where his real true home is. And he longs to go home to get back, as the Beatles put it, to where he once belonged. And so what we're looking at today in this last week in our series called Stories is just that. It's that the story of humanity is a lot like that. It's the longing for home. Why? Because a house is meant for survival, but a home is a place of fulfillment. A house is a place where you, you might live, but home is a place where you come alive. A house is a place where you... You exist, you sleep perhaps, but a home is a place where you can flourish. And the passage that we just read, Second Kings 8, centuries before the life of Jesus, hundreds and hundreds of years before that, it's perhaps the best narrative, I think, about what the longing for home looks like and how the power of home heals us. And that's what we're looking at right now, what the longing for home looks like and how the power of home can heal us. In this little narrative, let's look at it now, there's this poor, nameless woman she's only ever known as the Shunammite. She's become 
houseless, homeless. Now, Elisha, verse one, had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, we'll come back to that. He said to her, go away with your family and stay for a while wherever you can because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last seven years. So again, Elisha, the prophet, the man of God who had raised this woman's son from the dead, told her to leave her home and go to another place because of an impending famine. Verse two, the woman proceeded to do as the man of God said. She and her family went away and stayed in the land of the Philistines seven years. So she does it. She goes, she leaves, she dwells as Spider-Man would describe it in a place far from home. Yes, you've seen this. In the land of the Philistines and really that single descriptor could describe where we all live in a way. We live in the land of the Philistines. Not in America per se, but in this life, in human existence. Why? Because of this. The Christian story is this right here. Once We had a home, the garden, it was called. But because we rebelled uh, against God, this home that was made for us, that suited us, that fit us, because we broke God's heart and God's world, we've been banished from the garden. And we now live, as John Steinbeck put it, east of Eden. We live here and now in the land of the Philistines in a world like Four Privet Drive. We live here, we live now, but we don't fit. In the here, in the now, just quite. Now think about, let me just give you one way, one clue I think that shows us we're not fully at home right here and now. Think about time, time. Yeah, ever notice how weird we are about time? No one's saying yes, I have, and I'm gonna talk about it, all right. That is to say, we never quite fit in time, which again is weird because we talk about time all the Yeah, we want to make up for lost. Yeah, how do you lose time, by the way? I don't know. We want to be in the right place at the right. Yeah, fairy tales always begin once upon a, yeah, when we wait, we bide our time. When we're patient, we feel like we have all the time in the world. When we're going too fast, we barely have time to breathe. Okay, you're like, enough of those. I get it. Morgan, the time has come to move on. Because time and tide wait for no man. I mentioned all those because that was, it was kind of fun, right? And time does fly when they're having fun. I'm sorry, I did, it, did, it was super quick, did all those the next to no time. Yeah, so, all right. Again, why do we sometimes feel that time goes too fast while other times it goes too slowly when we've literally been moving through time at the same pace for our entire existence. I mean, if anything, we ought to be experts in the passage of time, but we're not. We don't fit in it. We're not at home in time. We live here and now, but don't, again, completely fit in it. We're east of the garden, living in the land of the Philistines, away from home, just like this woman and like Joni Mitchell saying, you know this one, some of you, we're all just trying to get ourselves Back to the garden. Verse three. At the end, therefore, of the seven years, she came back from the land of the Philistines and went to appeal to the king for her house and land. And even after seven years away, the Bible's number for completion, a whole lifetime, in other words, in another land, she still longs 
for her home. And out of this longing, she makes the journey back to appeal for what she's lost. In that day, abandoned land would have, you should know, would have reverted to the crown. And so, again, you've got to catch the picture. She's a person with no rights. Uh, She's an elderly woman, low in social rank, and she's got to go to the king to appeal for what had once been hers. Now, at this point, some of you may be asking, and I kind of hope that you are, Morgan, this is all well and good, nice story, so what? Like, why was this even written? Why is this even here? Like, you may be saying, Morgan, I get why. Uh, uh, The Red Sea stuff, you know, Mount Sinai, special effects, they're all in there. Battle scenes, those are cool, give me one of those. But why this tiny, insignificantly seeming story about one woman's sob story quest for land? And to that question, if you're asking it, I would say, remember, Every story, book, movie has an original audience. It was written for an original audience. Now remember who would have been reading this story for the first time because this story is in a little book in a scroll called 2 Kings. It was written to a people who were themselves in exile, far from home. When this was written to the Jewish people, they themselves had been conquered. They had been taken away to the land of Babylon, away from their ancestral home in Israel. They had been away from home now for like a lifetime. What was their homeland like now? Would they ever get a homecoming? Oh, and now, as we ask ourselves these questions, we may realize why the story is here. Because this woman's story is the story of Israel in just a few verses. What would happen to them? What would happen to Israel? The author of the passage is saying, hey, look at this woman and ask, what's going to happen to her? What is the God of the Bible able to do for her that she cannot do for herself? And what might the God of the Bible be able to do for you who is unable to do something for yourself? See, the Shunammite woman comes back, has to appeal to the king for her land, just like the nation of Israel would have had to have done in this moment. So would the king listen? Hmm? What would he do? Would the king listen? Look, when she walks now into the throne room to ask, I want to tell you, at first, it couldn't have seemed worse. It would have been like, uh, I don't know, like a Texas Longhorn asking the Aggie Booster Club president for season tickets. Like, not going to happen. Why? Because look at the two people who will decide her fate when she walks in. Verse 4, when she walked in, it says the king was talking to Gehazi. Okay, Stop, who's the king? Who's Gehazi? Who are these folks? Well, the king is King Jehoram, who's the son, if and you didn't know, of Ahab and Jezebel. Boo, right? One of Israel's most godless kings and his pagan wife. And Ahab and Jezebel hated Elisha's master, uh, someone named Elijah. Jehoram grew up watching his parents bicker and duel and fight Elijah for decades. Oh, but in the end, Elijah triumphed over Ahab and Jezebel, and they both died terrible deaths. And so Elisha, Elisha was the protege of Elijah. Elisha was the man who had protected this Shunammite woman, had raised her son from the dead. Elisha, therefore, represented a painful past to King Jehoram. Jehoram was the descendant, Ahab and Jezebel, biologically. Elisha and this woman were the spiritual descendants of Elijah. So if there ever were a moment to exact a little bit of revenge, 
Here it is. This is it. But it wasn't just Jehoram who's there that day, also in the throne room, was someone named Gehazi, also boo, right? Because Gehazi, if you didn't know, used to be Elisha's protege, follower, disciple, but he was given leprosy by Elisha for cheating, lying, stealing from those from whom Elisha had helped. And for his betrayal, he contracted leprosy and was banished from the ministry. And so the king and Gehazi are here together in this courtroom. They represent the worst of this woman's past and the most unlikely duo to ever do something for her future. But as she walks in, guess what she hears them doing against all odds. What are they doing? Verse 4, the king was talking to Gehazi. Wait for it. The servant of the man of God and had said, tell me about all the great things Elisha has done. What's, what's going on? Listen, together, Elijah, Elisha represent the single greatest concentration of miracle power in the Old Testament, uh, Hebrew scriptures. See, at Israel's lowest, there were no higher displays of God's goodness. Through Elijah and Elisha, the hungry were fed, lepers were healed, beggars were welcomed home, families were restored, fire fell from heaven, angels deployed to help people, and yeah, the dead were raised. And even centuries later, when Jesus Christ came into the world, some people even asked him, hey, hey, are you the return of Elijah? See, the stories from the past were so powerful, they rattled around him, still existed in the collective unconscious of a nation of Israel. Uh, the king here, therefore, is asking now to hear Elisha's greatest hits, his greatest miracle stories. King Jehoram was longing to hear about a better, truer world. A world in which the dead are raised. The supernatural is real. In which families are brought back together. The poor made rich. And beggars are celebrated as heroes. He's longing, in other words, to hear about the way things used to be, and all about the way things ought to be. King Jehoram reminds me of a song I heard when I was a kid. Uh, now, if you know me, you know I'm not the biggest country music fan in the world. Sorry, Texans. I'm not. I know some of you know it and love it. Uh, but my dad listened to it all the time, so I listened to it some. And there was this one song I remember hearing on the radio when I was a kid. It actually, I remember as just as, even as a kid, it spoke to me. Uh, I think I maybe even cried when I heard it. It was by a mother-daughter duo called the Judds. Some of you know them. And the lyrics of the song go like this. They ask this of the past. They said, did lovers really fall in love to stay and stand beside each other, come what may? Was a promise really something people kept, not just something they would say? Did families really bow their heads to pray? Did daddies really never go away? Well, Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. Now, here's the truth. I don't care who you are. The good old days were never perfect. They just never were. But this song isn't about logic. Hmm? It's about a feeling, is it not? It's about a longing. Tell me, Grandpa. Tell me, Gehazi, Jehoram sang, about a place and a time where things are good and right and true, where people are healed and whole. That's what Jehoram is after. Gehazi, take my heart home. Tell me the stories of Elisha. And I want to tell you, those stories did something to him. 
Because after this, if you didn't know, he went on to be one of Israel's few great kings. The power of Elisha's stories changed him. You know, he didn't have to follow in his father's footsteps anymore. Oh, but I also want to tell you, the stories of Elisha didn't just change Jehoram. They also healed Gehazi. Because how, after all, could Gehazi be standing in the king's presence? I mean, lepers, you may know, were banished by the law to have to live outside the city. uh, To be away from others, to avoid infecting them. But here, uh, Gehazi's not only in the city... He's next to the king. And Bible commentators say that the most likely explanation is that by this point, Gehazi has repented. He's been healed of his leprosy. It's gone away. He too had clung to the stories of home. And those stories, in time and turn, had healed him. Jehoram's changed. Gehazi's healed by listening to the stories of a truer, better world. How does this happen for us? Let me try to describe what I think happens in our hearts when we hear this kind of story, the story of home. Henri Nguyen in his book called The Return of the Prodigal Son, colon, A Story of Homecoming, says this. He said, quote, for a very long time, I considered low self-esteem, excuse me, to be some kind of virtue. I've been warned so often against pride and conceit that I came to consider it a good thing to deprecate myself. But now I realize that the real sin is to deny God's first love for me, to ignore my original goodness. Because without claiming that first love and that original goodness for myself, I lose touch with my true self and embark on the destructive search among the wrong people and in the wrong places for what can only be found in the house of my father. So good. And here's what he's saying. Let me rephrase it. And this is the key to how Jehoram's are changed and Gehazi's are healed. And when saying this, what doesn't get repaired gets repeated. What doesn't get repaired gets repeated. What doesn't get repaired in your life will be repeated. See what was passed on to you or what you did perhaps to yourself. It's destined to be repeated either in your own life or in your family line unless it gets repaired. And how does the human heart get repaired? Here it is. Nguyen says, it's not in constantly rehearsing our badness, our sin, which of course we must acknowledge in order to be right with God. This is not about, hear me, denying our very real need to acknowledge our sin before God, confess that before others. No, no, no. This is not about denying humanity's fallenness. This is about bringing in another simultaneous truth, not just the truth of our current badness, which is ever so real, but it's also the truth of our original goodness, how we were made good and beautiful and whole by our heavenly Father and made to live with him for forever. Listen, if you want to raise great kids, those of you who are parents, I know you do, tell them who they were made to be. Don't just berate them for what they're not. If you want to shape great Christians, leaders, people, athletes, uh, students, etc., tell them who they are first. If you want to shape a church, tell them who they are first. So let me tell you, let me tell you, church, we were not made to be defined by brokenness, by the polarization or whatever that exists out there. We weren't made to be defined by the brokenness of our family line, like some of you had with your own uh, Ahab and Jezebel in your past, or by the brokenness of your own choices, like a Gehazi. No, we were made by a good God, 
to know him and to be loved by him and to do great things, not just for him, but with him in this world and in this city. And if we don't remember that, we'll allow something else, our guilt, our shame, our culture to tell us we were made for something else first besides the heart of God where we have our eternal home, see. We'll always go if we don't remember this original goodness. Like Nguyen said, we'll always embark on some destructive search that ends us up like sleeping in a cheap motel somewhere when we could be at home in the house of our Father. What doesn't get repaired gets repeated, and our hearts get repaired by a longing for and listening to the stories of home. Jehoram allows the longing to change him. Gehazi allows the longing to heal him. But I want to tell you, you'll notice here, there's one story above all that allows us to be both changed and healed. Because at this moment, when this woman walks into the courtroom, Jehoram and Gehazi, they weren't just talking about any story of Elisha's. They were talking about one story in particular. It says this, just as Gehazi was telling the king what, how, Elisha had restored the dead to life. In other words, they're talking about the resurrection of the son. Resurrection of the son, the power of the resurrection story of the son began to fill the room, fill their hearts. And at that exact moment, now this woman walks in. God, he said, this is the woman, my Lord, the king. This is her son whom Elisha restored to life. The king asked the woman about it. What does she do? She witnessed to him, <laughs> evangelized a bit, told him the story of the resurrected son. And do you know, by the way, how her son was raised back to life? If you don't know, it's this. Elisha had taken her boy, her child, had stretched the boy out, one arm on the left, one arm on the right, went face to face, hand to hand, foot to foot, going into the grave with him, as it were, breathed onto the boy the breath of life, and he became again a living being. The son was brought back to life, and the king hears the resurrection story, and now in this fairy tale come true, he says, oh, and then he assigned an official to her case and said to him, give back everything. That belonged to her, including all the income from her land from that day till now. See the, the story of the resurrected son, the one who was stretched out, brought back to life. It opened the king's heart to do for the woman all that she asked. She got back every bit that had been lost. All her longings came true. And guess where she went? Come on. Home, yeah. Isn't it beautiful? Elisha's greatest story healed this woman in a sense and he wasn't even there what's the gospel of jesus it's right here in the story here it is the gospel is that the only son of a loving parent our heavenly father was also stretched out for us died on a cross for your sin for mine but by the power of god oh he didn't stay dead he was raised to life given back to his mother, and to all of us, to humanity, to bring us home and to repair our world. And I want to tell you, we're not just supposed to believe that true story, although we should. We're also supposed to listen to it again and again and again. And when we listen to it again and again, we will hear three things about it. I want to close with these. Number one, we're going to hear 
in the resurrection story of Jesus, number one, that this world is not all there is. And isn't that good news? There is a supernatural reality called heaven, which one day Christians believe will actually come to this planet, change this world into heaven itself. And for those who trust Jesus, there will be a place for them. Jesus himself promises this. John chapter 14, he says to his disciples, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because our hearts get troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. See, Jesus says, this world is not all there is. There is another world still to come. But secondly, because of that, while we listen to the resurrection story, because of that, number two, we can now live at home while we're away from home. We can live at home a bit while we're away from home. What I mean is this. For the rest of your life, some of you already know this, you'll feel more welcome or secure or safe or fitted properly in some places than others. If you move to a new city, for example, some of you just moved here, it can feel hard to feel connected. Carrie and I, our families move cross country a couple of times. It's just not easy. And so if you're new to Mosaic, whether you're new here to this church or you're brand new to God, faith, Christianity, or you're just new again to the city, there are going to be parts of this place, city, that just feel more homey than others. And again, if you're new to Mosaic, Austin, and faith, welcome. We want you to feel at home and I hope you'll consider making this place, sure, your spiritual home. But let me just say this. If you're always expecting this place just to feel perfect at all times, like not too hot, not too cold, kind of like a Goldilocks church, just right. For me, I want to tell you, you're looking for a place that doesn't exist on earth. It just doesn't. Mosaic is so far from perfect. And some of you are like, I already remember that again today, you know, this morning. But it can be homey. To the degree you allow your heart's first home to be rooted and established in the heart of God for you. And if you remember that, you can drop all the pressure to have like a perfect house house or a spiritual home. Even while you still work, yeah, to make this more and more like the house and home of God for all people. So number three, once we do that, now finally we get to help others feel home away from home. And I want to close now today, the series, the service, the month, anything else I can think of in a little different way. I want to take the next two minutes to tell you where we're going and why, why it matters. Next week, of course, you've heard is back to school Sunday. It's so inspiring. It's so encouraging. Wear your school colors. You're not going to want to miss it. But the week after that, starting September 10th, we're going to start something I think is kind of special for those next four weeks. We're going to be doing a small campaign of sorts as a church, and it's called Friendship Can Save the World. Friendship Can Save the World. I think it's a decent title. After all, it is loosely based on a book that my wife Carrie and I have written, which is going to come out September 26th. And the full title of the book is this, Friendship Can Save the World, The Book of Ruth, and the Power of Gospel Diversity. Here's why I think this matters. It's because in a cultural moment right now, we all feel this, in which people are having trouble just talking to one another. We want to help bridge the gap with the same power that really did save the world many years ago. It is the power 
of friendship. So we'll be looking not only at the narrative of the book of Ruth, four chapters for those four weeks, but asking you to strongly consider connecting to a mosaic, smaller community if you haven't yet. Because for those four weeks, we're asking our communities to meet weekly and do three things together as a smaller group. Number one, we'll be asking you to go through some special video content that Carrie and I, some of our friends here at Mosaic, have created and process it together. Number two, we're going to be asking you to do something meaningful for the, someone else inside your smaller group. We all want meaningful friendships and relationships, and I want to tell you, those just take intentional investment. And number three, we're going to be asking you to do something sacrificial for one of your literal neighbors. Do they, for example, need their lawn mowed? Go mow it. Do they need their lawn watered? Probably. <laughs> yes. Have you been meaning to have a meal with them? Well, just, man, take the initiative. Go be that person. Now's the time to invite them over or drop off cookies or bake the bread or whatever. Could you wash the car? You know, you know wash their kids. I mean, watch their kids. Yeah. Repair something for them. We'll do it. At the end of this, we'll be asking to come back in those groups and share your stories together. And we're going to have a fun little surprise to kick it all off right here Sunday, September 10th. Through all of this in our church, communities, neighborhoods, I hope we can help people feel home away from home. Hmm? Maybe even see them come to know Jesus with his resurrection story. I hope you can say amen to at least some of this. Let me take a moment and pray for you. Lord, what this woman longed for, the Shunammite woman, what Jehoram longed for, what Gehazi, what all of them got in the end, was real change because they encountered a God who can make possible for them what they can't achieve for themselves. That's the gospel. Lord, we all long for a place where people really fall in love to stay. Families bow their heads and pray, daddies really never go away. I'm so thankful because of the gospel of Jesus is not just a place in our past. It can be a place in our future. That yeah, we have a taste of right now. Would you help us to live and embody and express this in this city, our homes and lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.